For the scripture today, I'm reading from John chapter 10, verses 1 to 18, and it's on page 90 in the back section, the New Testament section of your pew Bible. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of the strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Our sound individual, Rob, is still down with uh, COVID. Our bass player is down with COVID. We're all falling. You know, it was interesting. When I was in Bolivia recently, um, they were reminding me of the situation when COVID was the worst down there. This would be a couple of years ago. But there were literally hundreds of people who died. And um, people who could not afford funerals. And so the bodies were just wrapped and left on park benches at night. And people would, from the city would collect. And Yvonne, my friend, who's a pastor, was telling me about it. And one of the folk in his church had died. And he was called to go and go to this place and identify this, this one body. So, I mean, it was very, very surreal. So getting better down there. They're not there right now. It's much better. number of pastors that I've worked with over the years uh, died with COVID. 
first church I went down to see years ago was Kalama Baptist, and both pastors at Kalama have passed. Now, they were getting older, but it was COVID-related. Just, you know, it's, uh, it's real, you know, a real virus that affected a lot of people. So, yeah. So we can continue to pay, uh, pray for our folk in the churches in Bolivia. And Yvonne Gutierrez, particularly, if you think of his name, Yvonne Gutierrez. So we come to our everlasting Father. We've been looking at Isaiah um, chapter 9, particularly verse 6. Can you not hear me? Can you turn that up a little bit? I'm getting, I'm getting signs from the front. Can you hear me out there? Is that all right, generally? Or is that, you're doing it, all right, so we got it. Okay, good. All right, thanks, Steve. We've looked at everlasting, well, no, we've looked at wonderful counselor. God is a wonder. We'll review that in a moment. We looked at mighty God and today everlasting Father. So it, there's a famous painting um, by Edward Edvard Munch called The Screen. And he painted this, I believe, in 1896. It was at the end of the 1800s. And he was a Norwegian painter, and he became quite famous. And he, this is his depiction of a world <laughs> on the edge, the screen. You see the person. If you look at close-ups on your Google, you'll see it. But it's kind of a, almost like a horror scene, the world. And interesting, you know, it's 20 years before World War I, and then 20 years after that, more or less, we have World War II. He, he sensed a lot that was coming. And I show this because the, the idea is the world screams to get our attention. And so the news feed is continual. Maybe one of the first things you do, I don't know, in the, in the day is you get up and you, maybe you check out the news feed. You go and go to your news sources, see what's going on in the world. So the world screams, but that's not the way that Advent comes about. Advent comes in a subtle way. Jesus comes in the birth of a little baby in Bethlehem, a little town, 2,000 years ago. So it's, 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 it's a quiet way, not the way the world looks. Jesus wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't born, you know, the son of a very rich person with lots of money. Some of our world leaders, a lot of them are billionaires. Jesus comes as a little baby, a poor family. In fact, Kierkegaard has a statement, the absurd is that the eternal truth has come into being in time, that God has been born, has grown up, and so forth, precisely like any other individual human being. He's just a baby born, hundreds of babies born around that time, thousands perhaps. Jesus is another baby. So it's a quiet message. And because of that, it can slip by. You, we can go through the whole Christmas season and be thinking about just, you know, our purchases, what we have to get, people on our list. We don't want to forget folk. So we can, we can race by and think very little in terms of deeper deeper issues. 
And the writer to Hebrews says, and we want each one of you to show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope to the very end, like this, so that you may not become sluggish or lazy or slothful. Those are some of the translations. But imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. So become and be stay diligent. You know how you would use that word diligence? Pretty strong word. What do you think of when you see someone who's diligent? When you're diligent at a task. You know, it's pretty, pretty edgy, right? Be diligent. Be zealous. You know, how would you apply that? And then, so that you may not become sluggish. That you don't become lazy. I think the King James uses the word slothful, that you become slothful. I saw a program recently on sloths. Anybody see that one? It was, I think, on, yeah. Some of you saw it, Channel TVO, I think. And sloths, as you know, move very slowly, and of course there's a problem, a sloth getting across the road. And, and you know, like, and so a lot of them were being killed by cars as, because they're just like, seriously. I mean, like, they are very intentional. Like, okay, I got it. It's like I'm thinking about every step, right? I know there's something after this one. What is it? Oh, yeah, I remember that one, yeah. I don't know how smart sloths are. I don't know that, right? They appear to be not real smart. But we can become that way, sloths, slow, slow in our mind, slow when it comes to our faith. Yeah, we can be that. The writer obviously thinks that's why he or she says it. Be diligent. Be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So let's be mindful as we move through the Advent season. Let's not forget. We're getting close to Christmas. Teaching a course right now, and there's 11 students in the course. And, and, and why they're doing it right now, I don't know, because it's a terrible time to take a course, but they are. And they're all going crazy, right? They're all going mental. They're, 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 their lives, their families are nuts because of the busyness. And meanwhile, they're trying to take a course, and we're thinking about worship. So that's one of them right there. They're trying to get through to me. <laughs> All right, so there we go. So we start. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority arrests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so you remember when the, when the writers in the Old Testament, they use names for God. The, these names are not just simple appellations. They are thinking of these names as characterizing this person, standing for this person. So this person is a wonderful counselor. We thought of that. The counselor who was with us, with you, imminent, close to us. You go to a counselor, you build some sort of relationship with them. Person is a wonder. Person is a counselor, advises. That's certainly the scriptural idea here. Walk close with us. So it's a, it's a close term. Wonderful counselor. And then the second one we looked at last week was mighty God. God as our hero. The word mighty can be hero. God is our strong person for us. Proverbs says a strong tower. 
So our mighty God. So now that, that, that descriptor is more transcendent. It's, it's more the bigness of God. Lord of the universe, right? He's mighty God. So they're both. They're holding both pieces. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. This is the one who's for you and for me and that we're invited to reflect on and be with in this season. And then we come to the third one, Everlasting Father. Two descriptors as well. Father. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. Psalm 103. Father. Here meaning compassionate, caring, tender. So it's not a father who is only concerned about himself, but he's concerned for the others. Apparently Herod wanted to be a, if known as a father for the Jewish people. He wanted to be known that way, but he, but he could never pull it off. He was just so self-centered, he couldn't be other-centered. And so... This father is one who's actually thinking about you, loves you, is tender, is caring. That's the idea here. God is the compassionate one. The Lord has compassion. A father for his children, just as hopefully parents have tenderness for their children, so this father has for us. So he doesn't impose his power, he sacrifices himself for us. That's the idea. So not self-centered, other-centered. Not imposing self, but sacrificing self. That's the one who's for you and for me. And when we read the other scripture from John 10, we see that Jesus is portrayed as the shepherd, the good shepherd. It's interesting that one of the first art pieces or descriptors for Jesus, the Messiah, in the Christian age was the was this, the shepherd, the good shepherd. For the crucifix, we had the shepherd with the sheep. Believe me, I've seen lots of shepherds, llamas, pacas, donkeys, sheep, goats. Maybe I told you one time we were driving down to a, the rainforest area and, and I saw this donkey running down, running right down the side of the road, trotting away. And then about 100 yards away was a little kid whose charge was that donkey, and he was chasing the donkey that had lost control. It was the funniest thing. So 100 yards down, the donkey's just going crazy, and the kid's going, hey, burro, burro, burro. It was funny. I thought it was funny. <laughs> Shepherd has responsibilities, right? And so Jesus is portrayed this way as the good shepherd. And so we read scriptures. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. I am the good shepherd. You remember in the Gospel of John, there are seven I am statements. And this is one of them. I am the good shepherd. Number four or five, I think. I am the good shepherd. Note, note what John says. And the shep, 
the people know and hear my voice. We know the voice of Jesus. Have you ever had an internal voice that wasn't the voice of Jesus? Bet you you have. Something screams in your mind. Do this, act this way, whatever. But it's not the voice of Jesus. So what voice is it? Some other voice. So we have voices, if you like, internal voices, quiet voices in your mind. You have, whether you want to acknowledge it publicly or not, I know you have. I've had. So whose voice is it that we listen to? Jesus says, they will know it's my voice. They will listen to my voice. So in that moment, you have a choice. Whose voice are you going to listen to? The good shepherd or some self-centered power that wants you to act out in some way? So there's quite a contrast between this picture and going back to Monk's picture all the way back to the scream. So which voice are we listening to? Who do we pay attention to in this season? Scroll back here. Cheryl, by the way, has got me this clicker, and it works perfect. She's just, like, figured it all out. We've struggled for how many years together? 25 years, maybe, but we finally got it. <laughs> now, I'm telling you, that's diligence right there, all right? That's zeal. We figured it out. So, Father, secondly, eternal, forever. He is this unchanging love and commitment for us. He doesn't change midstream, right? He doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry, that's enough. I am there for you. I can, I can trust and depend on this one. Everlasting, forever. I like that, right? Not too many things. Lucy said that off the top. What's forever? Paul, 2nd, 2nd Corinthians, and I will be your father and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The Greek text does say that. You will be my sons and daughters. It says that. I will be your father, and you shall be my sons, you shall be my daughters. That's God for us. That's his care for us, his love for us. Everlasting father. So is that a good thing? Oh, man, you can do better than that. Is that a good thing, everlasting father? You have someone who's committed to you on that level? Yeah, I think so, man. I think so. It could just be the opposite. God could be some crazy, capricious God who's just looking for you to mess up and get you. But he doesn't present himself that way. He is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father for you and for me. And we're invited to think and reflect on that. So where do we go from there? Well, a movement from anxiety to assurance. First application. If we think of the scream, that suggests a lot of anxiety. And there's a lot of anxiety in our world. People are anxious. Lucy said, anxious about what? Anxious about apartments, anxious about rent. You know, Sharon Tyson, who is our artist, 
met a guy in an African camp about 25 years ago in, in a refugee camp, okay? This is a real story. And they got to know each other a little bit. Time goes by. Out of the blue, this guy finds her on LinkedIn. He's still in the camp, and now he's got six kids. He's married in the refugee camp. And he says to her via LinkedIn, is there any way you can help me get out? So Sharon thought, well, you know, I don't know. Like, is there any way I can help her to get out? So she starts trying. And you know what? This whole family is coming to Canada next month. They are coming. Six kids. Six boys, I understand. They're all boys. That's a real story. Hanging in there. He had a lot of anxiety as father. Now he's bringing. They're going to stay in her, in her basement on Campbell Avenue for a while. I think that's a pretty neat story. Moving from anxiety to assurance. This guy coming, this Muslim guy. Maybe they'll end up in Weston, in our area, could easily. I think that's a neat story. People from anxiety going to assurance. We are on the treadmill, we could say. Treadmill of pain and of hurt. And so what is our answer? Tillich says to accept our acceptance even though we are unacceptable, to keep saying yes, to keep opening our hands and saying God is for me and not living like this all wrapped up in our anxiety. As Christians, you know, we can do that, right? You can hold on to all your anxiety yourself and try to work it through. Or you can open it up and say, I will trust and depend on God. There's nothing magic here. You got to do, you got to open up. I got to open up. I can be wrapped in my own anxiety. I remember talking to my dad about anxiety. He says, oh, Alan, I'm anxious about everything. Everything I'm anxious about. My good Irish father. <laughs> do you have anxiety? Oh, yeah, I have lots of anxiety, man. We can hold on to it. My dad was a strong believer, but that, that's just part of his personality. He was holding on, holding on. Can we let go? From anxiety to assurance, saying yes or no, number one. Secondly, to move from scarcity to abundance. Parker Palmer uses this language. To move from the language that there is not enough, living that way, there is not enough. I can't be kind and generous to other people because there's not enough. I've got to take care of myself. I've got to take care of my family. It's got to be about my close circle. We can often live that way. Rather than the abundance that there's enough for everybody. I can sacrifice for people even outside of my family. We can say that, you see what I mean? Because Jesus is abundance. More than enough. There's more than enough. The feeding miracles, when Jesus feeds 5,000, 4,000, that's what it's really all about. To move from scarcity to abundance. So Advent should be about abundance. Christmas should be abundance. Giving away. Not just for those who are closest to you. Beyond that, and then finally, we have this moving from hostility to grace. What's that about? Moving from anger to grace. Seeing our neighbor not as threat, but as gift. 
Lucy, I'd like to hear some of your stories from where, from where you were. Because it'd be very easy to see new immigrants, refugees, coming to our country and seeing them as what? Threats. Rather than the gift that they really are. They are gifts. So in our own mind, can we move from anger to grace, compassion, to love? God's love, right? So John, who talks about the Good Shepherd, finally summarizes God, and he says God is love. So if God is love, then we are called to move from hostility to grace and pass that on. So that's the invitation for us. And I pray that, you know, this week we might have a sense that God is everlasting father, mother, parent for me, for you. But then that calls us to extend some kindness to others. The old song we used to sing, try a little kindness. Try a little kindness. If everybody here did one act of kindness this week, the city would be a whole lot better. A little bit. You try to find somebody this week. Instead of seeing them as threat, see them as gift. And do a bit of kindness. In Jesus' name. Amen.